Alleluia. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Good job. I heard you all the way from here. In years past, at Easter, from the pulpit, I have celebrated the resurrection by taking my first bite of something sweet after having given up such things for Lent. What that always meant was that I'd be scrambling to finish my sermon in time to then race over to the local donut shop and buy a dozen donuts to share from the pulpit with you. Well, this year is different in two ways. First, I invited us as a parish to split the six weeks of Lent up into two weeks of fasting, giving up sweets, two weeks of almsgiving, sending out notes to the lonely, and two weeks of prayer, short meditations. So I was done with my vacation from pastries way back on March 6th, and I did not extend my stay there. Second, where I normally would have been running around to get sweets to bite into and break the fast with you this morning, donut shops and other places, well, this year, the sweets came to me. Lynn Magnoli, the owner of Icing on the Cake, emailed me to say she had an Easter treat for me to pick up. Little did I know when I retrieved it yesterday morning that it was an entire box, and a heavy box, though a little lighter since last night. <laughs> and so just to keep the tradition alive, allow me to ceremonially take my not-so-first bite of sweets to mark the end of Lent and the resurrection. <laughs> Ooh, look at that. I don't know if you can see that, but uh, there's a few missing, but <laughs> it's still pretty full. Let's try this one. Famous Oreo cookie. Mmm. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Alleluia! Oh, and um, one other way this year is different. Because of COVID, you're not actually here for me to share this with you. Ah, what a bummer. But here's another way that this year is different. We are hearing the resurrection story from the Gospel of Mark this year, instead of John's version or any other. Excuse me. So, no Mary Magdalene mistaking Jesus for the gardener at dawn this year. No post-resurrection breakfast on the beach with his disciples. In our online Bible study class, we have been painstakingly working our way through Mark's gospel each Thursday for almost a year, and we are nearing this end. But you know there are at least two endings to Mark's narrative maybe three. And the one we heard today 
ending with verse 8 of chapter 16, is considered the original end. But what you will often see in Bibles at this point are brackets around the next verses, 9 through 20, because it's thought that they are not part of the original Markan text. Some say they were tacked on later so that this earliest extant gospel could end on a more upbeat and definitive note, with Jesus actually appearing post-resurrection to his followers and ascending into heaven. But you know, this original ambivalent ending at verse 8 has real resonance and power. Listen to that last sentence again. So the women went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. That's not the kind of triumphant ending to a hero's narrative that inspires confidence. But I would argue that it does something even better than those other gospel finales. Mark's ending works through ambivalence to create this gap within which our belief can squirm and doubt and then deepen into an even stronger faith, toughened up for having had to grapple with these questions of who Jesus is in our lives, what resurrection means, rather than having those answers presented to us on a silver platter like the other Gospels. For they were afraid. What an ending. Yet how can you not relate to that? Any day, any week, any year, there is suffering. There is loss, there is despair, and there is fear. And resurrection seems like some faraway beacon pulsing in the darkness out of the corner of our eye, elusive when we turn to it for answers. My message to you this Easter day is simple. Rather than looking to resurrection and to Jesus full on and expecting salvation to just show up and clean house in your soul and in the world around us, trust that it's always there, that he's always there, guiding you to new life and renewed strength so that you can be the living extension of that resurrection in this world even when all is ambivalence and sorrow in your life. And maybe especially then, because God works through the hard stuff to reach us. And I would even venture to say that this is exactly why Christianity is so powerful, why so many are drawn to the message of Christ and believe because Jesus acknowledges our suffering, yet still promises resurrection. Crucifixion we know, it's in the news every day. 
It's in the lives of people we love, and sometimes in our own. It's the wicked destructiveness of some. The question is, how can we learn resurrection? Well, one way we learn it is like this. By writing our own verse 9, then verse 10, then verse 11, then verse 12, and on and on until we see Christ resurrected. When we are afraid and want to flee from whatever scares us or from what we long for but cannot see, like the women at the tomb, whenever we are afraid, there comes a point when we either choose to forever remain in that fear, in our own verse 8, or decide to use the fear, burning its fuel to fire us into transformation. How? By reaching past the fear to connect with others, by practicing kindness to ourselves and our neighbor despite the world's neon blazing persistent pulsing sign that insists that all that matters is our own satisfaction and security and safety. But you cannot resurrect from inside such a tomb of your own making. Christ rolls away that stone and invites you out into dissatisfaction, insecurity, and risk. In other words, into new life, into verse 9. And you have a choice to make. Connect or die. Stay pessimistic like nothing good will triumph in the world, that your life is basically over. Or believe that a box of pink pastries will be gifted you each day. Pray to God. Hope in Christ. Do your best. And trust that to believe is to see. And you will see resurrection. A friend of mine has struggled with mental illness for the past 12 years. It is relentless. He will have some good months and then suddenly fall into the abyss. Yet he holds on to his faith and often writes to ask for spiritual reading recommendations. He is one of the bravest people I know because he doesn't give up. Right now, he's in the middle of a six-month stay at a special mental hospital outside Boston, and he sent me an email yesterday. He said, here things are going well. It is still very cold in the 30s today but I just saw some flowers breaking forth a couple days ago, so spring is on the way. On the hospital grounds, we have wild turkeys, geese, and robins who seem to be happy that the snow is gone. It is a time of great promise. I am so very lucky to have this opportunity. His insistence on new life is his bid for resurrection, his hope, and his faith. 
The wisteria is blooming in our church courtyard. That trellis that was falling down was upheld for a few years by only the strength of the wisteria vine. Thanks to our junior warden last year and our gardener, we have now built a new and stronger trellis that can stand on its own. That wisteria is your faith. It upholds you when you're falling apart. A little reconstruction on your part will also strengthen you. Ask God for the tools to start on the work that will bring you to stronger new life. As you know, in pre-COVID times, we hosted a number of AA groups at St. Luke's. In the past year, they have had to meet on Zoom, and their leaders report to me that it is a deeply unsatisfying way to maintain sobriety in community. And so every few months, they text or email me asking when they can regroup on our campus. Sadly, I have had to turn them down every time. Until yesterday. There is light at the end of this tunnel. Our county and diocesan rules are loosening up. When I wrote this to one of the AA leaders, he was so overjoyed that he sent me a long text of his entire journal entry from yesterday morning. This guy is a sweetheart. He lost his wife to suicide just before lockdown hit. Like my friend, she had struggled with depression and mental illness for years. With his permission, I share some of his words with you. Journal entry, Saturday, April 3, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Thank you for this day. Peace, love, joy, and sorrow. All of it, Lord. The whole thing. This life as I know it. The unknown. Being okay with the unknowing. So many things are unknown to me. The future, is there a place we go when we pass? Do we live on? Will we see our beloved ones when it's our time? So many things we don't know. Sharon's passing has opened my mind and heart to vast possibilities in the afterlife, the nature of spirits and angels, God the infinite, love beyond imagination. My feeling of connectedness to Sharon, to God and others is transforming. The unknown, the unknowing is okay with me. There is an inner knowing with my spirit and my connection to God within me, brought forth by the loss of my beloved. Out of the ashes it has come. I am just a man flawed by my very nature no greater than and no less than, part of the human family. All the things that I thought held importance have been washed away. I'm stripped down and feeling alive. The unknown and the unknowing, I'm good with them both. Who knew?
At morning prayer yesterday on Facebook Live, a parishioner typed a comment that became the final words of the service. Prayers that today brings answers to questions asked and not asked. Those women fleeing from the tomb in terror and amazement had so many questions, so much fear. But their lives did not end at verse 8. Their silence became proclamation. Their fear flared into courage. And because of their words and actions, their verse 9 and onwards, we know that our lives are no longer bracketed by birth and death. May we always persist in asking the questions that strengthen our faith in God's answers. Answers like today, resurrection, so that we might proclaim and inflame that faith in others. Happy Easter.